Hey folks, welcome back to the Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Dylan Ayers. And in this podcast, we want to share mentorship to learn how to hunt, fish, and gather wild food. Our goal is to reduce barriers and create an inclusive and welcoming community for all folks who want to learn how to eat wild. So join us as we share stories, ethics, adventures, and knowledge about a way of life that's rooted in eating wild. Hey folks, welcome back to the Eat Wild Podcast. Now, you're joining us for the third and final installment of the Ramtastic Adventure series. So you've been following along on our sheep hunting adventure with Jenny, Spencer, Scott, and myself. In this episode, we're catching up over a over a Zoom call. And reflecting back on the trip that we had, we re-entered into society, into our normal lives, and kind of coming down for what was an amazing high of the adventure. Now, we get into a couple of things that I think are super important in this podcast. We, we talk about meat care and meat management along the way for this trip. And that was something that we didn't really dive too deep into the previous episodes about just how stressful and how challenging it was to have meat and in that hot environment and have to travel great distances with it. Now, this is something you'll deal with if you're a early season mule deer hunter or a sheep hunter or a goat hunter. Um, if you're hunting in places where you know you don't you can't necessarily get right back to a meat locker or to a butcher, you have to be um, well creative, but also have to have a plan for how you're going to take care of the meat. So we talk about what our plan was, what it what it ultimately was was mostly successful, and uh, we break that down for you in this podcast. We talk a little bit about the river dynamic and the challenge of of getting down the river and the stress associated with that. And just uh, along the way, yeah, just how kind of stressful the tail end of the trip was for all of us with the meat management and the river and the travel that we had to do in a very short period of time. So anyways, it's it's I think it's a cool podcast and also some fun stories along the way. Anyways, I hope you enjoy it. Now, now this podcast uh, is, is also brought to you by our good friends at the West Coast Kitchen Canada. They do freeze-dried nourishing meals in a bag for trips just like this and we kind of break down a little bit of our experience um, eating the quality food from from the good folks west coast kitchen on the podcast as well all right what else we got to say i think that's it let's get into this and have a bit of fun and i'm so glad you were along for the ride if you have any questions about like sheep hunting or this adventure please email me uh, directly dylan at eatwild.ca or message us through instagram and we will respond there but yeah Hope to get some feedback and hopefully you'll get on an awesome adventure like this at some point. Okay, thanks so much. Awesome. Well, we're back hanging out. It's great to see your faces. It's like after spending what amounts to what, I don't know, 10 or 12 days together, like you're just so incredibly tight and you're just like, yeah, you just see each other and hanging every day and then all of a sudden boom you're like back to your real lives and like it's like i feel i miss you guys and uh so it's nice to see you yeah how's re how's re-entry jenny p into real life uh it was a bit of an adjustment i prefer to have more sheep in my life and less humans i think (laughs) 
I like I like the density of people where we were. It was it was small. Totally, totally. I spent. I know that you got you actually ended up in the city for a, a week or so, like post sheep hunt. How how was that for you from a, from a, from coming from the the Simpson territory down to the big smoke? Yeah, I uh, I'm always reminded whether it's being in the bush or in my own territory and coming to Prince Rupert or Vancouver or anywhere. It's so interesting when you're out in the bush and your mind can focus on just one task. You have like one goal and one task. And then as soon as you enter the professional work world of emails and texting, there's just so many things pulling at your mind. It's just such a different way to navigate the world. And it always just makes me extremely cranky. (laughs) I can't just focus on one task and that's walk really far or hike really far or bushwhack and find an animal. It's just all these. Or just dogs. sit. Yeah, just sit in glass. That's such a fun task. But that's not the case in in either of these cities. When you spend so much try like trying to keep yourself alive, and then I have these questions like, does this really matter? <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive, and I can turn on the tap, and the water's flowing, and oh wait, I can. There's a screen that keeps me away from the bugs. How fancy is that? There's an air conditioner right behind you too. I can see it. We could have used one of those on our trip. S- Scott, your your reentry has included a trip to the sandy island of Savory. How 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 how's it coming? For- oh, you actually went back to work too. Gosh, it's been quite an event. Yeah, I definitely don't have much time in my life these days to focus on one task. So it was uh, it was yeah, it was a bit of a bumpy uh, bumpy reentry into dad life with two two kids small children and um exciting but yeah just kind of building on spencer's point it's yeah there's in the bush you're sort of focused on you know one or two things you know where's water where's food and uh how are we going to get a sheep in this case and um yeah now it's like okay i got two diapers to change and emails to check and Dylan's calling me to do a podcast and I've been on the ferry for 20 hours and I'm almost <laughs> on sunny savory but uh yeah no it's uh it's been pretty pretty tough to be honest but I mean it's great to be back with the family and yeah I just kind of reflect on the trip but um yeah it was uh it was nice to be in the bush for for that amount of time and just kind of be focused on on one task yeah, no, it's just, but it's been, yeah, it's been interesting, right? It's a totally different world from sitting up in the alpine glassing and hiking and, you know, a lot of physical demands to coming back here. And yeah, <laughs> all of a sudden, yeah, oh, yeah, I have two little beings that need my attention and work and emails. And, but yeah, it was, uh, it's good to be back, but it was, yeah, it was a wonderful trip. Yeah, for sure. I've been, I, I actually, this was a, this trip was in so many levels just the what I had a really hard time in the last year and, uh, with my mental health and, and kind of dealing with, I mean, everything that came with COVID and, and just how much it changed our lives. And I mean, everybody's heard these stories of, of, of how COVID beat the shit out of them. And, uh, 
but my physical health really waned in, in without being able to play soccer and do all the things I would normally do to stay stay well, both physically and mentally. And boy, this trip, like with the physical exertion that it it required, and just the amount of like, yeah, probably mindfulness that was required just to sustain yourself through some of these longer, tougher days. Gosh, I feel like just totally reset. Like I like I was able to go back to work for two weeks now and feel resilient for the first time in a long time with the stress and stuff that comes with my work and and i'm just still having these amazing days i was just like this weekend i it was a bit disappointing because we were supposed to be doing a uh one of our eat wild uh, backpack workshops we had a sold out workshop it's a great event it's a fun one i like doing it makes a bit of money too which i could you know haven't really had a workshop workout in a while with you know when it comes to the business side of things with covid canceling most stuff and we ended up having to cancel it because, of course, we have wildfires now affecting the area that we were planning to go into and the highway closures. Yeah, so, so super big bummer. And like, and I, but I was like, and I still just like, I'm riding this like really positive wave. I'm like, yeah, it's all right, you know, cool. And uh, just really enjoying the time in the city with with Mickey. And I guess it doesn't hurt that I'm going elk hunting next week, so I'm sort of just transitioning from sheep hunting and putting a couple of bugles in my pack <laughs> and now I'm set to go elk hunting. So I guess that's all, you know, lucky there, but all right, well, let's, uh, good. I got everybody's well, and let's get into this. Cause I think there's a couple things that I really want to touch on that I think are important about this trip. And I think one thing we didn't talk about in our wrap up in the hotel was just the stress that we were under from the moment, probably both of us pulled the trigger on the Rams and recognizing that we had just committed to killing an animal in what amounted to like 25 degree heat, maybe warmer, and trying to get that animal, oh, the meat, off the mountain and uh, multiple days down a river. And, and we had a bit of a plan for for how to take care of the meat. Uh, and 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 I think that we maybe I'll go to Spencer. Like, what was your when you pulled the trigger and you realized that now we had this next job ahead of us, what were, what was your thoughts about the meat care component? How comfortable were you with the, with the plan that we had? I, I was fairly comfortable with it. I just knew that it would be, we would have to be very conscious and uh, aware of each step of the butchering of the quartering process, like skinning, the gutting, skinning, butchering, quartering it up, taking it back to camp. And if we could get it back to camp in good shape, and uh, I don't know if uh, the listeners would be aware by now, but put it into dry bags of some sort or bags of some sort and sink it into one of the mountain creeks that were nearby, then we'd be okay. But there was that, yeah, that initial uh, step of uh, dealing with an animal um, in the blazing heat where we have been in this weather for, um, however many days where there wasn't a cloud in the sky and it was just so hot, hot and buggy. And yeah, it, it was, it was intimidating. And I actually remember, I, I keep on reflecting and remembering as soon as we started, uh, taking it apart, quartering it uh butchering it um i i looked up to scott and i was like i i vocalized to scott 
man, I'm sorry. I wish this was like a nice fall, cool fall day, because then you could see how meticulous I usually am. But right now, I recognize we got to do our best and get everything we can out as quick as we can with this heat. And and there's this balance of being uh, careful in what you do and and how well you take care of the animal, but also being quick, having to kind of rush things at times. So that was the kind of those feelings that were going through my head. Yeah, no, that was that's exactly what there was a couple decision points too. I mean, we had talked about whether or not we were going to cape out the animals and bring the capes out with us or well capes, like plural as if like, no, I think, I think we went into this trip thinking that if we were going to come out with one sheep that we would be, you know, absolutely thrilled. Um, and we talked about whether or not we wanted to commit to taking the cape out and neither, like, I mean, I don't think anybody in our group was actually all that attached to having a, 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 a full mount sheep. But, and I, I, I had thought that I wanted a Euro mount sheep, but, but when I, when I was looking at this sheep laying there on the hillside, I, you know, I was like, well, geez, I mean, someone, I mean, the, it's, a, they're so beautiful. They're so incredibly beautiful. And I kind of had, I was kind of attached to the idea of just taking the hide out just to have the hide. And then, and cause it's so beautiful. And, the, but I also recognized that like in that moment of heat and just adding up the vulnerability of the meat and the heat, like spending two more hours trying to manage a hide or whatever it might be, plus the additional weight and slowing us down to get the meat down into, well, down, to get the meat up uh, over the mountain and then down into our valley would would add another layer of, of you know, challenge. And I've taught, yeah. Yeah. This field dressing triage is what it was, you know? It, you know, under normal circumstances, you, you'd have time to think about that stuff. And but really, I mean, you know, I even the day the day we went up, it was already you know quite warm, probably eighteen degrees, seventeen degrees by the time it was eight thirty in the morning. And yeah, I was having second thoughts about even yeah, what should like should we even harvest an animal today? And I think once you know the animals down, well, you know, you just you just realize that okay, it's triage. Like I, you know, the most important aspect here is is respecting the meat and and doing everything you can to to protect that that meat. And um, you know, that would have been wonderful to have have that hide come out. But at the end of the day, you know, we the last thing we wanted to have was was spoiled meat. Yeah. So we. So, so the the plan ahead of this, I mean, just so everybody knows what our what our thought process was, is we we knew we we were going to be one or two days into sheep country. So likely our base camp would be as far as two days walk into sheep country, which I don't. That's pretty normal for sheep hunting. I think mo, I mean, two or three days of 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 walking into the back country. I think most sheep go through most sheep meat go through fairly like long journeys to get back to. Uh, eventually where they're into a cooler or a freezer. Uh, so our plan was maybe to be two, potentially three days in based on the routes that we were looking at. And and with the heat that we were dealing with, we, we sort of curtailed that to let's sort of hold our base camp to day one spot, like a, a, the, as far as for one day hike into the woods and then let's hike from there out another day. And that would, at least that way we're not, packing meat in our backpacks for 
two or three days, which would have been super vulnerable given this heat. So our, our plan, though, for, for cooling w- would have been under normal alpine conditions, which we did not have, would have been to keep the meat out overnight and then potentially uh, keep it in the shade during the day if there was some wind and, and if there was a way to keep it cool. Uh, or in, in the worst case scenario, you, we'd find water, or like a creek, a flowing creek, and then submerge the quarters into the creek uh, in, in clear plastic bags, which we packed up with us, and, and a series of dry bags as well that were kind of within our camp, so sort of pulling double duty. Um, so that was our plan. Uh, in the end, there was no hope of keep. It was so warm in the evenings, and there was no wind that we had no ability to cool the meat out in the air. So we they basically like Jenny and I we put our quarters directly into clear plastic bags, and they went. How long, Jenny, was it from when we went from our ridge from our, from our pack loads down to submerging into the creek? Do you remember? It seemed like a long time. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Three hours? Yeah, it wasn't too bad. Yeah, it was like, uh, yeah. I think, I think we, we were kind of, we shot the ram at about 1030 and then we were packed up and uh, I think we were going down the mountain about noon and we were in the creek by four or something like that. So it wasn't too bad. No, actually that it was way longer than that because we shot that ram at ten thirty. We were out by noon. We weren't back at the creek till no. The six. boys came back at six thirty. Seems like a long we, time. We we've been sitting around for a couple oh, hours, really? like just uh, drinking the beer and oh, we didn't tell them about that, did we? Oh, the beers that we'd snuck into. <laughs> yeah, I wanted Scott's pack. No, um, I think we were there a couple. Anyways, regardless, we we had a couple hours ahead of these guys to get back. But regardless, the meat was in the cooler and uh, in the creek. And from there, and the creek was cold, and we actually dug like we we actually took a bit of time to like dig the creek out and make little pools. So there was like cascading water onto the pools uh, of uh, uh, of uh, on, onto the meat, and then the meat was submerged in these little pools. It wasn't much of a creek, but it was certainly enough. And the creek was basically emerging from the the mountainside, so I imagine it was you know zero degrees or something like that. So. Uh, but that, I think that got a nice initial chill on the meat within the first day, which I think went a long way for our success overall with our meat care. Um, and then from there, do you want to just share, Scott, the journey of the meat from the creek down to the, the next stop? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, I, I think we, yeah, so we had a, we had a the, our ram was down at uh, Spence, I, I think around 8.30 in the morning, hey? Yeah, that's uh, that's the message I got um, when we came back together after the shot. Yeah, so and it took, and we got back to the creek at six thirty, probably. So, um, a long, a long haul with meat the whole time. Uh, you know, Spence and I are quite worried. At some point, though, um, we had a bit of wind um, through one of the saddles that we had to come through, and. Um, you know, we, we just, we took that opportunity at that point to actually take, take the meat out of our packs and, and just let it get some air. Cause, um, you know, we had, we had butchered the, the sheep under a, a tarp. Uh, we set up a tarp actually over, over the kill site to, uh, while we were butchering just to, to try and cool things down a bit right from the get go. But, uh, 
anyways, yeah, no, it was, yeah, it was just really, it was really hot. And, you know, we were both worried about that. Anyway, um, you know, we, you know, as, as you alluded to, Dylan, we took that, we, t- we got the meat down to the creek eventually after a, a really epic haul. Um, for us, anyway, it felt like a, a really long time, but the meat was cool. Uh, but now, um, you know, where we have this conundrum of, okay, uh, you know, we were sort of banking on the fact that one of a, one of the groups in Tillage and that now we have four people to <laughs> split, split the meat up uh, and, you know, pack, pack our stuff our camp up and all head down um and, you know and it, it came with you know i'll be honest it was kind of mixed emotions when you guys would sent the text and said ram down a couple hours after we had got ours because i was like this is great news but it's also okay now we really need to think about how we're gonna get the sheep down to the river because now we have twice the meat and uh anyway um we we, we got the meat down the next morning um you know we, we were happy about the setup that we had it was i had never done anything like that you know you, you hear stories about old timers and elders um putting putting full animals and in rivers to keep it cool and it makes sense and but i was still quite apprehensive and it was you know for me i struggled a, a fair amount mentally just hoping that this whole meat cooling yeah anyway so yeah we we basically you know we had we had hummed and hawed between the two of our teams right about okay you know um should we tough it out with, I don't know what amounted to probably 60 to 70 pounds of meat each plus our base camp. Right. And do it all in one trip. And, um, you know, there's advantages and disadvantages advantages to that, that we had discussed, you know, I mean, it's great to do it in one trip, but it's also 25 degrees during the day. Um, we're in the middle of nowhere. Uh, the chances of someone twisting it, you know, we, st- you, know, it, you know, from, from a, a sheep hump perspective, from what I understand, it was relatively straightforward, but we still had bushwhacking to do through willows. And, um, you know, the last thing we wanted to have happen too, was someone twist an ankle or fall over with, you know, a hundred pounds on their back and then be stuck. And, you know, now we have two problems on our hands. So basically through a bunch of deliberation with the crew, we just, we, you know, we had this plan to to shuttle the meat down in a day. It was good that I think we made the right call in, in doing the two trips, as tedious as it was. And anyway, we ended up doing the two trips down and um, we got down to the river. And the river for being an alpine river actually surprised me for how, how warm it was. Um, again, you know, it's, it's just another, it's just the mental component of, of okay, is this, is this meat chilling process going to work? Because you know, the, the meat basically went from field animal into plastic, into water, and it was going to stay that way for the remainder of the trip. And um, to me, it, it, it really weighed on me because I had never done anything that, like that before. And, I did, you know, just the temperatures were so crazy. Um, it really, uh, yeah, it added a, another element of stress to the trip for me, which was, you know, when I look back on it now, it was, it was great, but it was also... Yeah, it was stressful because um, then we had to leave our meat down unattended at a river um, where, you know, I mean, who knows what will happen. The river comes up, an animal gets into it. and we, So we should, we should talk about our system, though. I think there's some – the system, I think, was a, not a bad system. 
because no, the system was good. It's just the speed that which we could like, you know, basically it would have been nice to get the animal out. And, um, but the reality was he had 120 or 30 kilometers river to paddle still. And, yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I, so, so what we did for a system though, is we, 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 you know, back at base camp or I should say river camp where we had left our boats, we had large, like dry bags, like roll top dry bags, robust dry bags. And, and actually one of those, like, I guess it's like an 80 liter, um, maybe 130 liter dry bags, a big barrel dry bags that actually fits easily fits all the meat from a sheep that's been boned out or, or close to boned out. And you roll down the top and then so now it's, now it's definitely watertight. And then, uh, we've got a couple ropes to the top of it and then found a nice spot and a bit of a back eddy in the river and let, put the whole got as much air as we could so the so and put rocks in the bottom of the dry bag so the dry bag would sink and be submerged and then tied it off to a couple of trees that were overhanging the river and then put a few more rocks on top of the bag so it just stayed submerged and and then we had to leave it overnight because we had to go back up and get our camp and, and i think that system was was pretty good as far as like um as far as like at least if there was any heat left at all in the meat, it would dissipate by the cool water around it. So as far as getting the meat temperature down, I think it was a good thing. The the problem was is that the river temps like weren't all that convincingly cold. Like Jenny, what <laughs> can you tell us about the experience that we had as we got down to the, we, we hiked off the mountain, we've arrived at the Creek and then could you walk us through our experience on the Creek there as we got, we got down. Sorry, I no, the river, we got to the river and boots off and, and like all dove into the lake or all dove into the river. It was so, and just, yeah. Yeah, it was great for, from a bathing <laughs> yeah. perspective. <laughs> it was uh, not chilly at all. No, it was not chilly at all. <laughs> walking out in our underwear fly fishing in the in the in the river and it was uh yeah geez it was warm lovely yeah spencer i uh, what were your thoughts on 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 the river temps and like was this yeah g give me your thoughts on, on on that experience when you got to the river and and, and uh going from there so i had like scott alluded to i've heard my elders talk about sinking meat in running water and what i had known or had been told was that bacteria that causes rot and things can't really colonize if it's in running water and so while we were sinking the meat in this water i, I was sort of in my mind going back and forth huh it, it's kind of trapped into bags that were sinking into not cold enough water so would it actually be better if we just sunk it without dry bags and just had moving water going all around it so bacteria couldn't colonize the meat? And uh, I didn't actually tell anyone these thoughts, I don't think. That, like, maybe we should just try sink it. I don't know how we would have done it. We would have had to done it with, uh, you know, the game bags or something that water could move through. But, uh, yeah, I... <sighs> In theory, it's great. And um, as uh, people have found out through listening to this, that uh, it, uh, it worked out for the most part. 
that uh, it, it had it not been that hot, like it's pretty amazing that given the heat at 25 to 30 degrees fluctuating at peak heat, that we were able to sink meat and keep it for several days. And, and, and you can be confident in our future hunts just having that knowledge. Totally. Because there was something that I remember saying a couple times as we were like, like you know, Scott, I know Scott was feeling the stress of like, it's so important that this was a successful, that, well, for all of us getting the meat down and and, and safe and in good care was, was critical. But at some point I kind of just shut off from it. I was like, okay, well, like we have not been given any break here like this is like this is the world is ending right now like there is the heat that we're experiencing overnight is totally abnormal the smoke that rolls in and creates an oven effect is like abnormal the fact that we are in at six or seven thousand feet in the alpine and there's not a lick of wind this is abnormal like there's not even a hint of of a frost in these like and then we get to the river down below and it feels like you could have a like we were literally sitting in our underwear up to our, you know, bellies just bathing and hanging out and not feeling any shock of cold water. Like we didn't catch a break on, on for, for, for the things that we needed to feel good about the meat care. So at some point I just like, I was like, we've done everything we can. We had a plan, reasonable plan. We're like, we're going sheep hunting on August 1st. Like, like, 90% of sheep get killed on, on the first week of August. Like we're not doing anything different than any other group of people has ever done. And yet we're just, we had a plan for how we're going to deal with it. And here we are facing these elements that I thought for sure were going to result in spoiled meat uh, or possibly, or it was going to work out either way. I just stopped thinking about it because it was going to be too overwhelming. And, and Scott, I know that that was harder for you to just shut it off. Like you, you, you were really carrying that with you. And I know, throughout it and was there any point where you're able to separate yourself from it scott through the last few days no not at all i you know i it was uh yeah it was it was probably the hardest part of the trip for me to be honest just the mental aspect of um because i i felt you know regardless of what the weather did kind of we made the decision to harvest that animal and um, I really, yeah, it just weighed heavy on me from the moment the animal went down to, um, you know, and, and, and to be honest, the, the, everything really aligned for us on that trip up to that point. Um, you know, we had, we had both identified sheep that we wanted to stock on before opening. Um, you know, we had really good plans about how to access those sheep, um, you know, yeah, the bugs are bad, and but I mean, from what I understand about sheep hunting, you know, we kind of had a bit of a horseshoe up our butt, and um, you know, once the animal was down, and and just realize, you know, and being unfamiliar with, okay, this this method of caring for meat, yeah, it really did it weighed on me a lot, and um, it kind of made me, yeah, I, I don't know, I felt like you know, after that animal was down, the clock was ticking and I, I couldn't really relax until that meat was cared for. And yeah, I probably, you know, I should have realized that we've done all that we can do, but I, I was never really able to separate like sort of 
you know, mentally from. Something I, I find myself often thinking while hunting is uh, there's always this sort of idea that my elders and traditionally people used so much more than what we use today. And so this weight is always on me on how do I emulate the just the ingenuity to use everything possible and, and just to live up to that almost responsibility. And so there was this first strike of, oh man, there's no way we're keeping this hide. There's a second strike um, of usually I keep every single bone I can. This time we carried out the, the bones in each quarter. Uh, but, you know, the spine is super valuable. And then this final strike of we might actually lose a good chunk of meat. And I remember this something clicking similar to what I think you were feeling, Dylan, where I just went through this checklist and was able to say, you know what, we have done so much to try to make this work that you could be the most knowledgeable elder and you can't control the weather. You can't control the temperature of the river. You can't control all these things. And you can't control that at best we're making it out of this place in two days via river. So there was this serious internal battle that led to finally being able to let go and just say, we'll continue to try our hardest, but we'll have to accept the end result knowing that we gave it our best shot. I mean, the only other option that was going through my head was like, okay, we stay several days there and try to smoke the meat or something like that, which just wasn't an option. And so it was just this interesting internal battle of what it actually took to let go for me to get to the place you were talking about, Dylan. Yeah, for sure. I, we did have like like two kilos, three kilos of salt back at camp. We could have salted some meat and pounded it out and, yeah, got some smoke on it. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, with, with that conversation, do you have anything to add to it? Not really, I guess. Um, I mean, it, so we shot that sheep at August 1st. And for the listeners, it was at the butcher. It was on ice at 3.30 a.m. on August 6th. And it was at the butcher at 2 p.m. So that's a significant amount of time to be stressing over that meat and caring for it. Yeah, I think we, and I think at the end of the day, I, I, once it was in the, like it was fairly stable. So there's a couple other things we could talk about that we did with the meat that, that helped us, that I think actually worked out for us. One, one is that we were, while we were in camp or, or leave, we left the meat for one full day. We had to go back up the mountain, get our base, the rest of our camp, bring it back down. And then once we started going down river, we had two full days on the river, which, you know, ideally would have been four nice, <laughs> easy paddling days turned into, you know, two fairly aggressive paddling days. Um, but in the evening, we, we, we re-sunk all the meat again uh, in, in dry bags. But while we were transporting it down the river with, with these uh, boats, they have uh, uh, what they call uh, their, the, their um what's the self bailing thank you jenny um and so it, which what it basically means is holes on the bottom of the boat so if waves come into the boat or water splash comes into the boat it drains out these holes but it also means it's kind of like water's forcing through those holes at all times and you've got an elevated seat like a, a blow up seat that elevates you up off the 
up above the water where it's flowing. But what worked out really nicely is we were able to tie, we were able to put our dry bags with our quarters and then split it. So for, for, for example, Jenny and I split one sheep between the two of us, which amounts to 40 pounds of sheep in dry bags. And we're able to stuff it uh, underneath the uh, inflatable floor, but, but, but sandwiched between the floor of the boat with perforated holes in it. And, and then it would, would it, it was insulated from the sun by the inflatable floor above it and actually had water flow going over it all day. And it was in contact with the river all day. So that meat actually maintained the river temperature from basically from once we got to the river for the next basically three days as we worked our way out to eventually back to the to where we had the trucks parked along the river at the river pullout. And uh and so that that allowed for a cooling process, which as much as it was still like concerning, you just weren't sure if it was gosh, the river was so warm, but at least it maintained that consistent temperature throughout. And, um, and I think that w- that's, that was a good, at least what probably made it for us throughout. Well, and interestingly enough too, the forager, the alpaca forager has the self bailing, but the mule does not. And that's the one I almost took last year. So a bit of a, a bonus to have the forager totally. with that meat, the water flowing over the meat, as opposed to maybe the mule that it would have been a bit trickier to to keep the uh, cooler river water continually flowing over it. Okay, we've been talking about, about stressful stuff. Like we're all on heightened stress with the meat stuff. But let's talk about something fun. Okay, I need from each of you your favorite West Coast kitchen meal while on this adventure. I'm going to start with you, Scott. What was the highlight meal of this trip? Oh, gosh. Um I mean, you know, it was such a treat to come off a trip to begin with of eating freeze-dried meals and not have your insides feel completely destroyed. Um, <laughs> so that was a huge bonus for me right off the bat. Um, but, oh gosh. Uh, I mean, so many good meals. I mean, every meal you work so hard for up there. But um, favorite meal would probably be, for me... Uh, and the one, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It seems like the staple for the West Coast uh, kitchen was, was the, the butter chicken. Um, it just, I don't know. It, it You know, Spencer had uh, Spencer had a bit of dried <clears throat> sockeye that he, he brought with us, which was a wonderful treat. Um, just on its own, it was wonderful. But then to have it with that dried sockeye was just like, it's just incredible. Awesome. Okay, you, okay, you're yeah. definitely setting yourself up for a sponsorship with West Coast Kitchen with a review. Like Scott. <laughs> They're gonna be sending you a box of goodies for sure. <laughs> Jenny, what was your highlight meal from the trip? Well, my favorite meal of the day is always apre, <laughs> and I try to have one every day. <laughs> so West Coast Kitchen provided with the guacamole, apre, everything back to the river. So. I did, was a bit more relaxed when we've got all the boats camp and meet back to river, the river. And uh, we cracked a couple Mighty Peace Brewing beers. and uh, had Yeah, guacamole. that guacamole was awesome. lights out, actually. Yeah, oh, man. Yeah. The uh, quinoa and sausage really pairs well with fresh sheep <laughs> as well. That was a highlight, too, when we had some sheep ribs. 
uh, when we got the sheep back to the Alpine camp into the river and we cooked up the quinoa sausage and uh, totally. had some that little was, fired rib. That was a highlight for me. The, the actually that probably the bit like the well the ribs we were so tired and hungry that the ribs were awesome. But actually that the meal that Scott did over the fire, he cooked one of the loin pieces on a hot rock when we got back down to the boats. And I think we paired it with um paprika beef dish, like a rice dish. Oh, we also had a little package of nor uh like five oh, peppercorn sauce, I think a nor nor peppercorn sauce, which was gravy, which was yeah. nice and the and then yeah, the Persian paprika beef dish. And then you just perfectly cooked that loin. It was just like, yeah, sort of almost, yeah, just cooked at relatively low temps, but it was still nice and lean inside. And um, yeah, and, and actually I've never seen anybody cook over on a hot rock like that. So it's going to throw that in my repertoire of fire cooking for sure. So that was my highlight. How, how about so, you, Spencer? Uh, for the For context, for the listeners, I've throughout COVID, I've been on a bit of a complex diet where I've really been only eating uh, raw, fresh food or food I've harvested. So essentially, I haven't been eating gluten, dairy, or any kind of processed sugar. And the unreal part about these West Coast kitchen dinners is their vegetarian meals, you actually like pull through when it comes to crazy restrictive diets and so my trick was uh as scott alluded to was i brought a big a sack of uh dried sockeye and uh like crushed dried sockeye and a sack of crushed dried bear meat and i would add those to the vegetarian meals and uh, they would get me, they were just so good. So the one I got really into was a dill lentil and rice with the dried sockeye. Uh, but then when we made it down to the river and I had that quinoa and Italian sausage that was paired with the, the meat, that was unreal too. So I can't decide between those two. But then the guacamole totally deserves an honorable mention because I felt like I turned, I looked away, I went and did something and came back and I don't know it's guacamole sitting on the beach and just a total surprise with soap berries in it. Jenny added the soap berries. They didn't come with the West Coast kitchen, but wow, that was unreal. So honorable mention. Cool. Yeah, no, it was definitely, I, I like, you know, for, for me, the, as I'm trying to build these promos for the West Coast Kitchen, the one that re, like that that is probably the most, the biggest benefit of the food is that it's just like, I, I don't get beat up by it. And as Scott said, like just, I, if you eat freeze-dried food for a week, you can get pretty, pretty beat down. So um, yeah, I feel pretty nourished. So anyways, okay, well, that was our kind of our advertisement slash uh, interlude. And let's go back to something stressful again. And let's talk about river management. Jenny, you know, we we had a river adventure last year. And we had a river adventure this year. Which river adventure was more stressful, this year or last year? In terms of, well, I'll let you, I'll, I'll, I'll let you answer that. They were both type two type of fun. And I just think I forgot about how scary the river was. Last year, when we went out this year, 
Um, of all the adventures that I do, I find the river the scariest because you can't control it whatsoever. Or, I mean, if your avalanches are pretty scary, but you can make a lot more decisions on your path, you have a lot more options. Whereas the river, hmm, off it goes and you can pick a different line or you can follow Scott down a different line, but uh, it's moving and there's a real sense. I have to re release my desire for control when I get on the river and that is not easy to do. Yeah, totally. It's, it's that the, you are the, the one thing that I, I'm learning about rivers is that they're never the, like, you don't have control over what they're doing at any given time. So whatever you might be scouting a river or, or the information you may have about a river might reflect a drought period or a high water period and doesn't necessarily reflect the, the current state of the river that you're managing it in. And, um, that's, that was definitely something for us. I, 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 I kind of felt like we were, I felt more in control on this trip than we had been last year uh, with with managing the hazards on the river. Um, and maybe that was just me being more comfortable or that was maybe just having a little bit more. I think the, the, the big difference for this year too was having, you know, Scott able to, you know, Scott was had brought with him a lot of river experience. And, and for me, it was, it was kind of really nice to have a, a, somebody else who could take the lead on the river and identify the route and, um, and basically shoot that first, well, navigate it and then kind of lead for us and, and pick the, pick the best spot to get down. And then sometimes that means that you go down the wrong spot and you get a little scared and then have to like pull over and get everybody over to the right spot. So, um, Scott, how much time have you spent? Or, well, how, I should ask you this, Scott, like with this trip, like we're, how did you feel about being, you know, sort of on the right side of safety going down this, this river? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, I've got varied experience on, on, on rivers, mostly down South. You know, I hung, hung around with a lot of river rats growing up and, um, but it's always, uh, yeah, there, I mean, it's such a dynamic piece and it was always, you know, the interesting part of this trip was it was, you know, it's this multifaceted trip where you have this, you know, relatively for most people when they go sheep hunting, they have this component of, okay, alpine, alpine weather. Um, and then, okay, you presumably get picked up by a float plane or you, you make your way to a, a runway where, and, and that's, you know, the main reason what attracted me about this trip to begin with, but there's this huge unknown piece of a river that us um you guys had had rafted a, a section of the river that we had done but as you, you said you know rivers change dramatically from year to year season to season snowpack to snowpack so um yeah you know it's it's always a bit stressful um because there's a there's a huge amount of unknown and um, you know, like Jenny kind of mentioned as well, you know, with, with, with mountain travel in general or avalanches or you can, you can kind of take your time, pick your route, assess things, but the river is, is always moving and it's, it's, a, it's a totally different beast. And, um, you know, it was, it definitely weighed on me through the Alpine portion. Okay. Like once we, once we figure out, okay, what do we, you know, we got this sheet now, how do we get down the mountain? 
but uh yeah it uh you know it was it was good i mean i felt we had a, we had a solid crew we were all very safety conscious right like safety first in the middle of nowhere um you know i ended up being the only one who went for a swim but that's another story <laughs> but anyway um <laughs> yeah yeah a little overconfident on the launch there for sure uh, <laughs> Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's you know, you're it, it, we had. I think everyone kind of had the same sort of level of safety consciousness, and um, so I knew, you know, when Dylan pulled out or Spencer pulled out or I pulled out, that everyone would support that, and it, it really makes it easier um on whoever's leading that, right? Because you, you know, okay, um, they're pulling out for a reason. It's not just because you know they they're freaked out or they're there's something to, to worry about so it was um yeah no it was, it was great but it's also yeah anytime you're leading a section of river or, or a hike or a trip you, there's always a, a bit of stress but it was nice to have you dylan and, and jenny and spencer and you know spencer and i had spent some time on the rafts beforehand so we were comfortable together on the river and i know you and jenny had it was just yeah i think it was um it was just a the perfect combination of you know um no one was overconfident in their ability on the river, but we had also been exposed to, to hazards associated with river travel, and it just made the whole the whole trip down so much easier. I think. In so, the Spencer, end. you were probably the greenest river uh, person on our trip. Uh, how, how did you feel for safety on this trip? We're, we're reflecting back on it now, like uh, uh, how was that for you? Yeah, I definitely was the most green. I I had never done whitewater, and so I try to do a lot of canoeing on the coast and intertidal rivers and the Skeena and all that, but never white water really. And uh, the thing with pack rafts is they're so, you just, they're so skookum that it would be easy to get overconfident, but I've had some experiences that helped me reel myself in at times. And, uh, at the end of the day, I always would sit and reflect on what we had, how far we had come down the river because it was two really intense days. And I was genuinely surprised that no one got hurt because it was a bit intense <laughs> in some areas. And not even the rapids. The, the part that scares me the most is uh, um, when you have to walk your raft down and walk through not even that fast of water but moving water on slippery rocks and i might be a bit sensitive like i might have told some of you but that in a situation i got caught in a sweeper and slipped while getting out of the canoe and trying to stand up i slipped on a rock before and uh, broke my kneecap in an incident on the river when we were like still 10 to 15 kilometers away from a cabin and all this stuff. And so anytime we got out, I would have this bit of anxiety of walking on these rocks, um, just balancing and moving water. Um, when you're walking 50 to a hundred yards in this stuff, it can be a bit intense. And we're just, it's awesome that we all came back with our ankles and knees intact. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, it's just so lucky that 
we didn't hurt ourselves. I mean, there were some bumps and bruises, but just to echo what Scott said, it was amazing to be a part of a crew. It'll be hard for me to hunt with groups of people when you have the standard that I think I experienced this trip of people with safety consciousness, because it makes the trip just more fun as opposed to this anxiety in the back of mind being like, Oh, I don't like what that guy's doing. Or I feel uncomfortable with the plan for the day or any of that stuff that just wasn't there. I think with our crew, which is important to, to reflect on and highlight. Yeah, I think it's funny because I, you know, I, I, I have this sort of saying or that I kind of, or mantra, it's like reduce the risk as close to zero as you can. Um, and, and with the reflect with the, with the paddling, it's really hard to do that. Like something that we brought this year was we brought helmets. We, we've always gone for the wetsuits. We brought, I brought helmet. We, well, a bunch of us brought helmets this year that just reduces that potential of knocking your head, which is something that, you know, when we went in the water last year, I was like floating by some big boulders. I was like, Oh, okay. Yep. The helmet next year. Um, and and probably the one that I'm gonna as I was walking down the river and as my feet are like slipping off rocks and falling into cracks, I was like, I need to bring better quality footwear. Like I'm just using these little river booties, um, and I need to have felt soles and a, and a more of a solid sole, even if it means I'm bringing a couple more pounds of of weight. Now, having said that, I was at the fishing store l- last week to buy them, and they were like three hundred and forty dollars. And I was sitting at the till, I was like, all these lightweight river boots. I was like. I was like, dude, I can't do this. I can't. I can't spend three hundred and forty dollars on a pair of boots. I, I already have a pair of wading boots. It's like you know, probably twice as heavy. So I'm just gonna have to slup my five pounds of river boots with their felt soles on them. But I don't know. Maybe I'll go back and buy them now that we've had this conversation because it really is that it was a safety point that we could that you could reduce the risk a lot by having better footwear that grips better, has better ankle support for walking on those rocks, for sure. Okay, let let's fast forward a bit here because we because I want to get to the end. Of, well, I want to get to a, there's a couple of highlights as we get to the end of this journey that we're on. So we so we get down the river. It's a two really big days, a big push for us. I, you know, I, I, we're a pretty strong team, so I don't think anybody was. I think we when we got to the is a bit of a huff when we get from the from the river back up to where we get our where we can actually get to a vehicle. Uh, but we managed to get on the road by like something like midnight on day two of 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 drifting, and now we're three hours up the Alaska Highway, and we gotta trying to get back to where like where we can get to maybe maybe it's five hours up the Alaska Highway. Um, well, it depends on how much fog and how many um wide load trucks you see oh, yeah. and how many pilots totally, yeah it was, it was a rough day. yeah so we're <laughs> driving the alaska highway and, yeah, anytime after dark is pretty exciting i was yeah. i was stoked i'm like well we, we didn't have that far to go i'm like ah, oh, three and a half hours we'll be in fort st john we're good to go and then there's a couple of things that yeah we're for sure anyways we might we waited we roll into fort st john at like i don't know three or four in the morning and uh and uh, like the the most important thing on all of our minds as well, ice first. So we had to find bags and bags of ice to just like just dump this on the meat so that we feel that we've done everything we possibly can to ice the meat and uh, get the temperature down, and then uh, and then find a hotel. So we we find we we find ice the and we we value we've iced the meat. And now it's four some odd in the morning, and the super eight 
we call them. There's somebody at the front desk. They they welcome us in. This is, I call it the Super Eight Spa and something or other in Fort St. John. Oh man! But they welcomed us in, and we were able to like. I don't even know if I had a shower that night. <laughs> it's just it was bedtime. No. Oh. What? Shower <laughs> whoppers and. Burger King was the only food that's open in Fort St. John after hours, which I have to say, like I've been to Burger King once before in my life. I thought I'd never, ever go again. It was so terrible, but gosh, it it wasn't bad. Spencer. You don't want to eat Burger King at four in the morning when you're still wearing your dry suit. Just, uh, just if you're trying to, you're trying to mitigate I, all of this. So, I don't know. It's up to you, Spencer. There's a whole bunch of context leading up to this. Like we get out of the river, and for me, this is probably my low point because we open our dry bags, and Dylan and Jenny's meat seems fine, but Scott and I have a bag that seriously smells like rot. And I think I've figured out the culprit after spending a lot of time thinking about it. Um, and that was that in my raft, the seat didn't fully cover the dry bag to protect it from the sun. And it just so happened it was one of these dry bags that have a clear area that you can see through so you can see the contents. And so while we were paddling, somehow sun, it was at the part of the raft that where the seat didn't cover this bag of meat and sun got in and heated up the bag. And I remember looking down at one point and seeing it just all fogged up and, and that was the bag that went bad. And so I was quite sad because we had to chuck some meat. It was just clearly rotten. It was green and smelt like rotten carcass 100%. And so we have to, pack whatever meat we can to the trucks and then try to drive home all with this question in mind, uh, is the meat going to be okay? And, and throughout this process, there's a lot of bugs. There's a lot of things going on. And I was just like, I'm going to stay in my dry suit. I don't need to worry about anything else right now. I'm going to stay in my dry suit. For listeners that don't know, you should look up what a kayaking dry suit is. And so we're well. They, they are they are they're yeah. impervious to bugs, so which is which was honestly the buggiest moment was like, yeah, like that hike up the hill to the trucks and all that. It was it was buggy yeah. is. And so at the time, it was just you know what I'll just I don't want to be distracted by bugs in a way that it'll affect my decision making around this meat. That was my my thought process. And so once we got everything up there, I was like, whatever, I'll power through wearing this hot, sweaty, dry suit until we get to Fort St. John. We get to Fort St. John, and I'm still very stressed because we haven't got ice. Both Scott and I are very stressed about our cooler with meat in it. And uh, Dylan and Jenny are quite confident in theirs. They're like celebrating. They're more joyous than Scott and I for sure. Well, at this point, like... The, the threshold for me to start like feeling a sense of accomplishment and feeling like that, like is that we survived. 
Like I, I honestly like we were pretty scared last year on the river. I was pretty scared this year on the river. Like getting all four of us down the river without gear failures. We had some some gear failures along the way. Like we were able to manage them. Like I was just happy we were alive, and I and I did feel pretty good. Like when we opened up the bags at at at, at our pullout, like I was we we gave everything a good rinse, and I was like, wow, this meat's fine. Like and I knew it was fine, and uh, I felt pretty good but the celebration for me was that yeah we were alive and we were like now in a truck and we were driving home and i was like that the the amount of like up until that point like at every moment like looking ahead from when we had the sheep down i knew we had to climb up and over a mountain back to camp and get the meat into river from there i knew that we had to get you know camp and everything back to the boats and then from there we had to get the boat like it just never felt possible that we could even enjoy like I never even enjoyed any feeling of celebration until kind of being in the truck and, you know, having a warm beer and what not in the truck, but as we were like packing up the truck, we had a beer near the truck. And, um, and, uh, that celebration for me was, was, it was, and I, I felt badly because I knew that you guys weren't there. I knew that you guys had gone through a pretty shitty experience, especially having to kick out that one, uh, shoulder that, which I, you know, I, you know, that you guys lost there with uh, the one that had been shot up a bit. And, um, so yeah, so that's where I was at. Anyways, let's get back to, um, that dry shoots and yeah. get into, uh, so oh, yeah, like Dylan has <laughs> said, we lost, um, uh, the, the front quarter and a uh, half of a quarter because my bullet blasted through. Um, one part of a shoulder so that was really bumming us out and it was just something a hard pill we had to swallow that this was seriously gone bad and and so after however many hours it took of sitting in this dry suit in the back of the truck uh (laughs) listening to a joy of dylan and jenny in the front we get to fort st john and everyone's like oh we're hungry and uh, so we get ice first, I think. We we get the ice settled. We get that on the meat. And um, I'm still sort of, I don't fully believe that our meat is okay. So it's it, we got ice on it, but I don't fully believe it because we haven't, we're tired. We haven't done a thorough check. But then everyone's hungry. And so we go to Burger King. And I thought, oh, to get my mind off this stress, sure, I'll indulge in Burger King and fast food for the first time in over a year because of my COVID diet while wearing a dry suit, which is so, it's just a series of bad decision making. Yeah, and for more context, well, maybe I'll, well, I'll let's move forward. So we go to the Super 8 Spa, which was amazing in retrospect. But we get there, and instead of like checking in, everyone's like, hey, let's drink some beers and finish our Burger King. And being the only guy who doesn't drink, it's like, okay, everyone's everyone's just thinking about drinking beers and eating Burger King, and no one's like checking in with anyone else. Like, is everyone else okay? Do they need something? And so this is when I'm like, you know what? I haven't dropped a deuce in like 30 some hours because I held it in because I just wanted to get on the river and paddle really quick every morning and all these things. 
I just broke my diet by eating Burger King at three in the morning. This is not a good situation, and I really have to go to the bathroom. And so I was just waiting. So could I fast? So could I fast? So 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 I so I go in to check in, and of course there's this lovely like there's this lovely woman, like Kathleen, at the at the checkout or at the check at the at the check in desk there, and and she's she's super nice. And like, you know, we're having a good chuckle and a good hey. Spencer's standing next to me and and he's kind of like going from, you know, tiptoe to tiptoe back and forth like this and and I'm not quite clued in as to what's unsaid here as I'm like chit-chatting away and Spencer's uh, and, and, and <laughs> maybe you missed it, Dylan, but while you guys were eating in the parking lot, I jumped out of the truck and was like, "I'm sorry, dudes." I need to go to the bathroom. Can we check in? Oh, no, missed that. Yeah, and that's when <laughs> I ran in and started initiating the check-in process because I was like, and so I was like, let's do this. I really want to get to the, the hotel room to the lady, which was, you know, she was doing her thing and I wasn't trying to be pushy. I was just, let's try to move through this. Yeah, she was a trainee. She was, she was yeah, working through it. which is fine. But then Dylan strolls in. I was thinking, nice, Dylan knows how I'm suffering right now. But instead, this lady starts flirting with Dylan and taking a lot of time. And I just remember this moment of her like flipping through his IDs and being like, oh, I like you better with the beard now. And I was just, I came in here raring to get this process over and done with but i could see dylan just soaking in the compliments i was just happy to be alive <laughs> i was just like i was like happy to be alive and uh everything went okay i mean but that was just like while being in the the depths of your lowest of the low of the trip that was uh, not a fun place to be in <laughs> Sorry, man. Eventually, we clued in. Eventually, Kathleen clued in to what had to happen, and she really, like, she really sped up and she had your card in the hand, and then, like, yeah, it was it was clarified exactly what had to happen. Yeah, eventually. I mean, she had a dry. I had my dry suit in the in in the <laughs> lobby there. I was still wearing it, and yeah. I think uh, yeah. you had mentioned at some point. Yeah, I think my buddy wants to go to the bathroom. Yeah, I just, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really understand. I was like, well, just go to the bathroom. There's got to be a bathroom around here somewhere. But then I realized, like, oh, yeah, you're in a dry suit. Like, in order to go, like, kind of like, it's quite a production to take the dry suit off. Okay, I can see probably just wanting to get inside your hotel room and, and therefore get the dry suit off once. And, you know, there we go. All right. I got it. Yeah. Yeah. Kathleen, let's speed this up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. So. So we we've arrived at this the, the Super Eight spot, which which turns out that it's it's it, it, they welcome us. Uh, Kathleen welcomes us. We get a night's sleep in. We get up in the morning, but we still have this problem, right? Like we still have this problem that we've got meat that we think what well, we know is starting to rot, and now knowing that you know that there's potential for further loss, like it, it's kind of like what do we do? Like, and I wake up in the mor what well, in the morning after a few hours sleep and and now this is like okay i have to like jump back into this problem as to what how are we going to deal with this and and you start to think through that like it's on ice now but will it make another you know 14 hours of driving back to prince rupert or to to vancouver to where we can cut it and put it into a freezer 
Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. So lucky enough, you know, I have a couple of contacts in, 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 in Fort St. John and I, I text a couple of buddies and I, and I ask about local butchers and I get a text back right away to check out. It was, it was miles from, uh, what was this? Uh, or is, is it, it was, or was it, no, it was Stan, Stan. Yeah. Stan's, uh, custom meat. And Mike Bridger suggested we give him a call. So I, I get, I pick up the phone. I call him at like nine in the morning when I first thing, first call of the day. And I tell him our problem. And I said, look, we've got two sheep that we've just come out the mountain with and, and we're not sure if, if they're going to make it. Is there any chance we can get them into a freezer? Cause I think in the, my best chance is like, let's get them into a freezer and then, and then at least stop the, any type of aging process. And then we can thaw them out and cut them when we get home. Well, it was great talking to 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 Stan because Stan, right off the bat, he knows exactly what we're dealing with, and he was like, just talked us through. Like, he kind of asked me a few questions about the meat and how we'd taken care of it, and he said, you know, he was feeling kind of optimistic about what was what was happening. He said, well, just just bring it in if you can bring it in at two o'clock. I can cut it probably right then, and I'll have it frozen for you. If you need to get on the road tonight, I can you know put it in the freezer for a couple hours. If you want to come back in the morning it'll be frozen and I'll get you on your way. And as soon as he said that, I was like, Oh my God, relief. Like, like to think about having it cut within, you know, four or five hours and, and then be able to drive home with frozen meat. Like, Oh my God, like what a relief. So anyways, that I texted the the team on our little message chat there and said, Hey, this is our, I think this should be our plan. And I don't, I don't know, Scott, were you, you, you were, you were pretty, I think who was up? Who was up? Anyways, who else was excited about this idea? I had uh, snuck up to your guys's room and we were watching live. What is it? Speed walking on the Olympics. <laughs> that was exciting. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, so I think it was. I think we all the three of us that were awake decided this was the plan. Scott, we figured would 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 relieve him of his of his grief about the meat. So anyway, so we had to go to, but it kind of opened things up for us. Like finally we kind of had a plan and uh, we went there in the afternoon, dropped this meat off and uh, got it, you know, hung up in the cooler and had a chance to talk to Stan and, and uh, his partner there. And he looked at the meat and, 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 you know, he, he said, oh, shit looks fine to us. Like, looks good. You know? <laughs> That's the, crazy, like, <laughs> the craziest thing was, I mean, it was at that point in time, Stan had this aura, this glowing aura to me of an angel. And I kind of turned his name into Stangel, like S T A N, <laughs> Angel. <laughs> because he just had the, the biggest smile on his face. He opened up the cooler and was like, oh, this is great. Actually, this is some of the best sheep meat I've ever seen. And yeah. what the, str- yeah, we were just, what? And just <laughs> the image of me looking to Scott as we're field dressing and me being like, sorry, Scott, I would normally be way more meticulous. And then just thinking of the, the spill I took and just all these things hitting rocks as we're going down shallow areas of the river. And, and it's some of the best meat. And it's like, I guess it's really hard to have good field care when you're packing out sheep. I, I guess so, but it's hard to imagine that. I mean, 
it yeah i mean yeah it's hard to imagine that that that's if that's the standard that comes in from other sheep hunters i mean we all got to do a better job for sure so that's probably a good opportunity for us to plug our eat wild butchering workshop which we talk about field care and meat care and butchering of uh wild meat to do a great job bringing into your butcher um yeah we do it once a month here in vancouver yeah great time um <laughs> but yeah i was surprised to hear him say that he was that was the best the best quality sheep meat he's ever seen come in so and I think he's been doing this for a while, and, and no doubt, and he's well with embedded within the hunting community. But uh, you know, certainly, you know, I think I think our probably our cutting, our butchering was was good. I, I was just worried about the the just the wet aging, like that 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 process that we followed, and, and it just wouldn't didn't have that traditional sort of if you hang your meat up in the in the wind. It kind of develops a bit of a skein, and the it just looks kind of looks looks good right but you know once you cut into it i think that's really what he's talking about is when he cut into it and started working with it it was in great shape and and um super pleased to get that feedback and so. i i remember trying to pick his brain thinking oh i bet you know any butcher is a wealth of knowledge and he said um for the future even if um you got pieces that you think are just turning he said bring them in regardless uh, because you can cut around it um, certain areas will won't be uh, affected uh, if the areas near the bone might because of heat or areas near the 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 top surface might um, yeah just for knowledge of any hunter if a quarter or something is going bad it doesn't mean the whole thing has gone bad you can peel back pieces and that was just advice that Stan had given me yeah, I was encouraged by hanging out with Stan for sure. I, I, that was a really good experience, and I mean, above all, I have to say, like the the fact that he just like took us in. Like we literally called him up at nine in the morning. He shuffled his schedule around to, to receive us at two, put us into the queue, and then showed up on his day off to send us away with uh, with our uh, with our sheep to get us home. You know, at a reasonable hour the next day. I mean, like what a, what a gem. So. Yeah, no, yeah, he was just a an all star. So I'm definitely pleased to have uh, him in my in my phone in my in my phone for future hunts for sure. So that was great. So so from there we then we went we actually we had quite a, quite a quite a social lineup here for our time. And we had our sleep in, in Fort, so yeah, we laid lazed around. Yeah, yeah, we still so we still had to go get our. We had a date with the uh, taxidermist in town who was the compulsory inspector. Um, to get our, our our rams inspected, and we called our our friend Mike Bridger, and he's the biologist in town. So he and he was sort of just just I guess had basically just just um, well his office is right across the street from the taxidermist who does the compulsory inspections. And we said, oh, I'll just come down, and it's a good opportunity for me to like look over some sheep with the compulsory inspector um, as as part of our training if, to do this you know to do this well. He also brought another biologist that was just in. Does anybody remember the the the, the second biologist's name? Sorry, Rayel. Ray, yeah, yeah, Rayel. Cool. So she just moved to Fort St. John as part of, and to join the biologist team. So what a treat to like hang out in, uh, in in Miles's. So his his, his taxidermy place is, yeah, yeah, and uh, so so for for. So if you, for a number of big game species in BC, you have to have them compulsory inspected, whether it's uh, moose in some parts of the province, whether it's Roosevelt elk, in our case, uh, sheep 
is a is a compulsory inspected mandatory species so we have to have it looked at i believe it's within 30 days of having harvested the animal um but what an opportunity to go and hang out together uh, both spencer and i and scott and jenny and be part of this process of um you know looking at the sheep and having biologists or, or trained people basically measure sample and uh and, and age the sheep so we got to go into a studio which is really cool because you're in a taxidermist studio which is basically um like 360 degrees around you on the walls are uh, are sheep that are in in one stage or another of the taxidermy process, uh, and, and so it's just like so. It was great to be able to to walk through the aging of our sheep that we had killed and and eventually identify the the, the total years of age, and then but then also just like learn about the aging process and and how the annual I work. Um, and then go through and look at all the other sheep. Uh, Scott, are you if you're still hanging with us? Do we, can you tell us what you learned in terms of aging sheep in that process? And Scott, I, I muted you a while back, so I hope you haven't been trying to jump in. I forgot to take you off mute because there was some noise oh, traveling around. Yeah, I, was, I, was, <laughs> but, I had uh, a few things to offer, but that's okay. Um, I'm used to it. Um, <laughs> anyways yeah no i mean I, I think the thing with sheep aging is that it's you know it's you know i, I worked as wildlife biologist for a while uh before my role with parks and um it's challenging um you know it, it's uh you know even guys who've been doing it for a long time they'll often they'll often seek a second opinion and um you know part of the reason why they're asking for incisors now is to try and correlate you know incisor age to annulite growth because there's some you know there's a bit of confusion around okay what you know are annuli an accurate way to age sheep and um i think for the most part they are but um but it was just good it just kind of you know i used to do it uh back in the day too and it was just good to see some people here like you know they you know they'll count and then they won't say anything and then they'll let the other person count and then they'll kind of see how they, how they line up because it really isn't, um, you know, I know a lot of people want to think it's an exact science, but it really isn't. And, um, you know, especially with false annuli and, and those sorts of things, it gets tricky. Um, and horn, you know, horn shade, all of those things. So to me, if anything, it just kind of made me feel a little bit better about my uncertainties in the past with trying to figure out how old these things are and, um, and it, you know, it's humbling because, you know, people that are, you know, it's their job, um, to do it. They also, you can see them sometimes struggling a bit, right. With how, you know, trying to age sheep accurately. And, um, you know, we're sitting 200 yards or if we're lucky a hundred yards away, trying to figure it out through a scope and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's challenging. Yeah, totally. So Spencer, how, how, how old was your sheep? And what'd you learn about your sheep? I should say. So. From the start when I saw him, I assumed uh, just given that one side was a monster full curl and the other one was not, my guess was it's probably like a deformed seven or eight year old, just given with the other ram that he's hanging out with. Um, because the other ones were like five or six, was my guess. And then when we got him, we all sort of decided, yeah, he's he's about seven, maybe eight. Um with that ridiculous curl. But the interesting part was when Miles drilled in 
he said, whoa, that's an unhealthy ram. And I guess it was the density. Uh, maybe we'll get a message with a correction or something, but it was the density of the, just the, the, what would you call the material of the horn? Yeah, it's just soft, soft horn density. Yeah. Right? It was easy to compare to, you know, a, a healthier, stronger. Yeah. Horn. So just, it was, that was super interesting to see the difference where Tusker had was bigger um, bodied, more meat than the gentleman ram of 10 years of age. Uh, but his horn growth was, his horns were in an unhealthy state. So it's just interesting to imagine what's going on with, with horn growth and, and trying to figure out why. And I think I asked why, and it was just, it could be so many things. We just don't know. Yeah. I think, um, that was such a cool process. I, I enjoyed Jenny. What, okay, Jenny, what would, what did you get excited about when, when we were hanging out there? What did you learn? Well, from the whole process, I learned that I want a scope cam. Oh, the, the little, the, the phone scope. Yeah. Because you can take those photos. Cause the hardest thing about these Rams is they're always moving which makes it, that's the challenging part for me is to age them while they're moving. But if you take those photos, then you can really have a, you can really study them. So that was my big takeaway of the, it's interesting after a trip like this, the piece of gear. I, $30 piece of gear expensive. might help you it's get your round. Normally the way that, <laughs> that's yeah. not normally the way that happens. So, and then just, uh, yeah, the privilege to be in that shop and be able to, I mean, how many, sets of horns were yeah. in there probably 15 or 20 and get to touch them all and to count them all and discuss them all with the biologist was super cool so yeah that was a, a very yeah and, and at that point really too horrible. i think we were all feeling like at that point the meat was at the butcher it was being cut it was being frozen so no matter what we were like we could all be present and enjoying the moment which was for me was like the first time that we all as a team started to really like get fired up and, and start having some fun and, and, um, and, uh, yeah, just that knowledge that was being shared and the excitement and, and the genuine, like, you know, I, you know, the thing about sheep hunting and the thing I've noticed with this having now, you know, for that, for the first time being a successful sheep hunter in a community of very dedicated hunters, then a, a very broad community of hunters because of my, you know, you know, everything from just being a hunter for so darn, darn long and knowing lots of park rangers and like biologists, but also just having access to the wild sort of broader hunting community. Like everybody is so supportive of a successful sheep hunt and they know how incredibly hard it's been to get to this place. And, uh, and, and then just sharing that excitement with a couple of sheep hunters in, in, um, you know, Stan and, and, um, and, and Mike who are you know, dedicated sheep hunters themselves and, and, you know, just, just how, how much joy they had for us as a team of, 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 of you know, they just knew how special the moment, well, they helped us really appreciate how special the moment was, but no. Totally. That was great, man. Yeah, totally. So this, so this was great. So, so, so now we're just like fully, we, we've learned a ton and now we're just celebrating and we, and we literally go down the street, like, I don't know, like 10 blocks down the street and there's this great welcoming brew pub and, uh, Bridger shows up, hangs out with us for a few beers. We have our great service, great server there, celebrating our successful ram hunts, 
yeah, that was that was where I felt like it was all time. It was truly time to celebrate and start reflecting on what an awesome trip we've had. Yeah, likewise. That was a great night. So this is the question. So okay, I'll just fast forward again. So we end up going back to see Stan first thing in the morning and we get our pick up our meat and we get, you know, he's, he says the meat's great. No problem. You guys did awesome. We've got two coolers full of meat and we're heading home and we each get home at a reasonable hour. Fantastic. So home safe. So now it's officially official, official time to celebrate as we roll into home and I'm happy to get home to Mickey and Claire and, uh, and having a hangout. Um, what a successful trip. So before I move on, I just want to, I just want to thank all of you for, for supporting this trip and, and, and coming on board and, um, investing in it and, uh, being such great hunting partners. So thank you all so much for just being awesome people and, uh, awesome adventure buddies. So thank you. It was such a good trip. I had so much fun with you guys. Yeah. Thanks, Gil. Thanks for all your work and all the head, you know, ton of work to plan a trip like this and it's just an honor to be on it. And yeah, what a, what a sweet adventure. It's a, you know, I'll remember this trip forever. You know, it's just a, a life yeah, changer. Totally. Sure. Just to echo others. And I think for my own experience, it's amazing to have you as like this mentor Dylan in my, the stepping stone to going into the non-indigenous hunting world and what that means for me. It's just super valuable and amazing and to have, uh, yeah, you as a, a mentor through that process. You, you did say at one of your posts on social media, like you said, like this mentor kind of elder of sorts in a social media post. And I was like, I was like super like a little bit offended. Cause like, like, am I really that old? Like, am I really like, I like, is it, is, is that what you're, you're pretty old. Fuck. And I was hugely <laughs> flattered that I was like, Oh, well, it's just like, wow. Okay. Like there's, I, I think I understood what you were Man, saying. That's, really, yeah, really flat, that's the Western really flat, mind dude. in you. It's elders. The biggest <laughs> no, compliment. <dude. laughs> yeah. I got it, man. Thank you. I was, I was pretty, pretty, yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty taken aback. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm pleased to be on this journey with you. It's been, it's been awesome. So Jenny, are we, um, are we going up? This is the last question. Are we going back? What are we going sheep hunting again? I don't know. <laughs> 2022, 2023. Well, in 2022, number two will be, I've got my eyes on number two. <laughs> So I don't know if I want him when he's nine or when he's 10. <laughs> what do you think? I think he's going to be 10 next year. Whew. I hope he's still there. Only one way to find out. True. Would we go back to that exact spot? What would you do all winter? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no trip to plan. Well, okay. So this, this, let's go around. So I, Okay, so I'm going to ask you, Scott. It, would you do this trip again with this team, and how, and and what year would you be able to do it again, if you would? Or, or third question: 
Yes. Okay. So just you have three options. Like, <laughs> would you do it again? What year would you do it? Or would you want to do this another adventure trip with this group in some year? Different place. I yeah. So yeah, the thing that drew me the most to this trip was just the unknowns. I mean, as much as you can plan and talk to people and um that's really what i got a kick out of and man we found a sweet spot you know don't get me wrong but uh, and it, absolutely i would do it with the same crew i just i i don't know i just that sense of like what's around the next corner is always gonna keep bugging me and you know i as amazing as this place was i'd be keen to to go on an adventure with you guys and check somewhere new man I think that's how I feel too. Yeah, it's just so much country, you know, so many amazing places. And, um, yeah, tough, but that'd be my vote. And I'd do it, I couldn't do it next year because I'm still, you know, working <laughs> up the deals with the fam, but 2023 for sure. All right, how about you, Spencer? That's so interesting because my I get the most excited about going back to a population that I've gotten to know a bit, knowing that it's the tip of the iceberg. And I, I, maybe it's just the way I was taught by my elders. It's just you get to know a population and you just stick with it. And so in my head, it's I'm really excited to check out both the populations that we harvested from because they're on in different areas, um, different peaks. And, and so to go back and, and be able to compare rams and maybe find the one Jenny's looking at and, uh, and, and just go through that process of what does it mean to be uh, someone who's controlling the stewardship slash harvest the give and take relationship of this place. And, um, and, and so with that in mind, the, the number that instantly comes out, the, the year that comes out in my head is 2023, uh, because it would just be interesting to um, see how a population changes over two years, assuming we couldn't make it back for two years in a row. Um, so like taking a year off, and uh, and then waiting to to go back, and that's something that I've heard a lot of actually traditionally for my people is um, with animals where you don't harvest large amounts, it, always having these alternating places. So it's this year we're taking it out of this place, the next year we're taking it out of this place, and sometimes it'll be like a trap line where you have three or four seasonal places um, that you you switch off. So. Those are the things that go through my head when it comes to sheep hunting and uh, and exploring regions outside of my home. And uh, yeah, so I get really amped about going back to these places and seeing uh, the the ram Jenny was looking at. But regardless, I'm down for whatever. Well, it's funny because I, I I'd probably be a lot more I would be a lot more successful of a sheep hunter if I ever went back to a place that I've hunted before and I've always gone, you know, 
learned a bunch from an area, found sheep or found access. Access is such a huge part of this. Just like figuring out the access is the number one thing. And then you're like, once you got that figured out, then there's sheep there, whatever. Um, but I've never been able to get excited about going back to the same spot, um, which probably would have made me a better sheep hunter or a more successful sheep hunter up till now. This is maybe the first place because I feel like we just got into the area where they, they just felt like there was so much more hunting we could have done in this zone, which got me kind of excited. So I, I think I would go back to this place uh, more so than any other place. And then granted that I, I and then I'm also just kind of on the hook. I, I owe Jenny a sheep hunt. Uh, well, I, I'm going to hunt sheep with Jenny until she kills a ram. And that's the sort of the deal and offers open to Scott as well. If, uh, if he's, uh, you know, um, but, uh, I feel like that's part of what sheep hunting partners do is they make sure that their partners, uh, have a successful hunt eventually. So, so, so Jenny, you got the last word on, on where we're going, ne- where we're going next year in 2022. Uh, we also have like, we, we, we had that plan B plan a, this was actually our plan B, right? So, you know, over to you, Jenny. I don't know. Uh, I think we should try plan A. And also, <laughs> I don't know. I might. It's hard for me to... Right now, I can't plan a sheep hunt next year because it's hard for me to sheep hunt an elk hunt in the same year. An elk opens in a couple of days and I'm not happy. <laughs> I have to yeah. work. But I sure appreciate you lending us your boat for this for the for elk hunt this year. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll miss you though, Jenny. Well, and I, I really shouldn't complain because I do have a really great elk draw, but it's after the rut, <laughs> so not to hear the bugle is. I've got a bit of elk bugling FOMO right now. We'll do we'll do lots of podcasting, so you'll you'll you know you'll, 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 you'll probably be right along with us along the trip. So that's all we get. Not quite sure. Still up in the air, eh? Digesting. Digesting. Yeah. Cool. And literally, oh. actually, I'm digesting sheep right now because I had <laughs> cashmere sheep for dinner and it was amazing. Let's finish with that. Okay. So, best meal yet with your sheep. Jenny, what's the best one you've had? The shank. My sheep asabuco was so good. Cool, Scott. Ribs, ribs by far, just incredible to have those long rib bones and wonderful fatty ribs. I was impressed that you guys packed those out. We we boned our ribs out right off and, and just brought out the flanks and and I'm. That's no, where you I have yours yet? yet. Man, so well. Yeah, we I was gonna say for best meal. Oh man, the the to eat that fresh fat. That had been crackling on the. Everyone was giving me their fat because they saw how much I loved it. I was just, oh, I was just moving through the fat off that sheep. But awesome. upon returning, I um, I really wanted to share a meal with my grandfather and his partner, and uh, they invited another friend, and uh, and so just like a very standard stew. And it was unbelievable. One of my friends who uh, has spent a lot of time working and living with the Iskit 
folks. He's like, when you make a stew out of sheep, it almost makes its own gravy. And that's why it's my favorite meat. Cool. And uh, cool. yeah, that's the, so that was quite special to have that with my grandfather. It was delicious too. Cool. I had uh, a bunch of my foodie friends over and uh, got a couple roasts out of the, the legs there. And I had a, a leg roast and I I had this thought, I was like, I was having sheep with mint sauce. And I got something that my dad used to make when I was a kid. And then all my foodie friends were kind of making fun of me for making like, oh, British mint sauce is like uh, kind of like got ridiculed by my crew. And I've got lots of beautiful fresh mint in the garden. So I made this mint sauce with this lamb, uh, this, uh, yeah, lamb, ram, ram, leg roast. It was freaking amazing. So yeah, beautiful meat, incredibly tender for like an old, you know, old animal. And, uh, and then this week though, I've got, uh, that Jody Peck, who's like my favorite wild chef is coming over on Wednesday. And I, I, she was like, make me something good. And I, I, like, I've got, it's going to have to be sheep shanks, right? It's going to have to be Osoboko. So, yeah, looking forward to that. So, what what time? Uh, <laughs> sometime around six or seven. See you there. Awesome, you guys. This has been so much fun. This trip has been so much fun. I really appreciate you putting up with the podcasting part of things. And, uh, oh, what a special trip. And I, I'm looking forward to the next adventure wherever we go. So, Likewise. Yeah, that was awesome. Thanks, man. All Thanks, right. guys. Okay, well, let's all hang out soon. Okay. Sounds good. Bye, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Hey, folks. I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Now, we'd love to hear from you. So drop us a question, either on our Instagram or email me directly at dylan at eatwild.ca and we'll do our best to answer that question on our future podcast or we might even build an entire podcast based on your questions so thanks for doing that so if you want to hear more from eat wild you can come join us we're doing a series of eat wild learn to hunt webinars so we're getting together on a monthly basis talking about all things hunting with a group of mentors through a webinar format they're tons of fun come join us there now if you happen to live in the vancouver burst columbia area we do in-person workshops where we get together learn fundamental skills for you to be a better hunter hope you can hang out for one of those too if you happen to be in the area now we'd love it if you could leave a review or a comment wherever you listen to your podcast that'd be a great help to us and more importantly share this podcast with folks who care about the stuff we're talking about so thanks for doing that Until next time, eat well and wild.